0: Welcome to the Plastic Surgery for Cancer podcast brought to you by the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. I'm your host Abbas Hassan and today I'm joined by Dr. Edward Chang to discuss the surgical management of lymphedema at MD Anderson. Dr. Chang is an associate professor in the Department of Plastic Surgery at MD Anderson. He completed his medical degree at the NYU School of Medicine followed by plastic surgery residency at the University of California in San Francisco. He completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Stanford University and a microsurgery fellowship at MD Anderson. Dr. Shang specializes in complex microvascular reconstruction for oncological defects of the breast, head and neck, torso, and extremity, as well as super microsurgical treatment of lymphedema. He has authored more than 140 articles in peer-reviewed journals and serves as the reviewer and editor for multiple journals. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Shang. I'm very excited to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much for recording this podcast. It's an honor to be a part of this.
0: In today's episode, we will be discussing the lymphedema staging There are surgical options available for patients nowadays, and finally, the MD Anderson algorithm for treating breast cancer related lymphedema. There are numerous lymphedema staging systems available today. Based on your experience, which ones perform best and how do they relate to the surgical options available for these patients?
1: You're correct. There are a lot of different staging systems that are currently available. One of the most popular ones is the International uh, System of Lymphedema or Society of Lymphedema who came up with their staging system, which is very much a clinical staging system that is based on physical exam, it's very helpful and it's very descriptive for assessing the severity of patient's lymphedema, but it doesn't really provide much guidance in terms of treatment or the management of lymphedema, which from a plastic surgery perspective, we're really interested in the surgical options. So our treatment strategy is really based on an endosigning green staging system. What we know about indocyanine green is that when you inject it subcutaneously, it gets absorbed into the lymphatic system and allows us to visualize the lymphatic architecture in the extremity. Once we know the lymphatic architecture and whether or not there are lymphatic channels that are preserved, this really helps to guide our management. And historically, we had four stages, stage one, two, three, four. We four. We've recently added a stage five, but essentially what we have found is in earlier stages of lymphedema, stage one, stage two, these patients had available lymphatic channels with some preservation of lymphatic architecture, which allowed us to perform one modality for treatment. In the more severe stages of lymphedema, stage three, stage four, where the architecture has now become fibrotic and is completely disrupted. These patients were previously felt not to be a candidate for one option and were really relegated to the second option for treatment. And again, the newest addition, this modification, stage five is a fairly rare phenomenon that we don't see that frequently. And in this situation, again, the findings based on the indocyanine green really helped to determine what the best surgical option is for these patients.
0: In patients with early stage lymphedema whose lymphatic channels are still patent in imaging, how is the lymphatic-venular bypass accomplished? What is your experience, you know, with coupler devices for anastomosis?
1: Uh, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, this is a great follow-up to the previous question, where patients with earlier stage, stage one, stage two lymphedema, where we still are able to visualize the lymphatic channels. What we want to do is we want to identify the location where the lymphatic vessel has become obstructed secondary to the fibrosis, the inflammation, the sclerosis associated with lymphedema. When we can identify this obstruction, what we want to do is we want to create an anastomosis between the lymphatic and the recipient vein in order to allow the lymphatic fluid to drain back into the systemic circulation. Uh, Here we can see some uh, examples of the lymphovenous anastomosis or lymphovenous bypass, demonstrating the surgery that we're performing connecting the lymphatic vessel to the recipient vein, which again allows the fluid to drain out of the extremity and leads to the improvement and the benefits that we see with this technique in treating uh, breast cancer related lymphedema. In certain circumstances, the vessels can be quite large. The term supermicrosurgery comes from the thought that these operations are typically performed on vessels that are less than one millimeter in size. However, in certain circumstances, we may be fortunate enough to find vessels that are considerably larger, in which case we can perform this bypass or the anastomosis, joining these two vessels together using this coupler device. This device is a device that we use routinely when we're joining vessels together for other purposes in terms of reconstruction. And again, when we can find vessels that are of suitable size, we can use this device in order to join the vessels together rather than actually sewing the vessels together.
0: What about patients who have lymphedema that has progressed to the point where the lymphatic channels have become sclerosed and fibrotic?
1: So this is a great, uh, again, follow-up question. So for patients who are stage three, stage four, where the lymphatic vessels and the lymphatic architecture has really been become very fibrotic, these patients historically were treated using a vascularized lymph node transfer. So this is the second option that we offer patients at MD Anderson for treatment of their lymphedema. The concept of the lymph node transfer is taking lymph nodes from another location in the body, and transferring those lymph nodes into the arm in order to improve the drainage from that extremity. In animal models, we know that the lymph nodes that we transfer stimulate the formation and growth of new lymphatic channels, which will then help to absorb the fluid. We have to be very careful where we take the lymph nodes from, and there are a number of different donor sites that we can discuss that we can take lymph nodes safely in order to transfer it into the arm in order to improve the drainage from that extremity. And again, we find this to be a very effective means in treating patients with more severe lymphedema where the lymphatic channels are no longer present.
0: There are many donor sites available for transfer, including the axillary, inguinal, cervical, the groin, supraclavicular, submental, as well as intraabdominal donor sites. How is the decision made at MD Anderson for which donor site to use?
1: That's also a great question. And again, at MD Anderson, we like to offer the entire spectrum of options to our patients. And what we found from research that we have done is that there's not a clear evidence or a clear study that demonstrates how one donor site is more effective than any other donor site. So in our experience, what we have shown, especially with a recent study by Dr. Chavrin in the journal of the American College of Surgeons, as well as a historic review of the literature, all these lymph nodes seem to be equally effective regardless of where the donor site is. So we oftentimes present the entire spectrum of options to our patients and we allow the patients to decide which option they would like to have. Each of these donor sites have their advantages and disadvantages, but again, in terms of their efficacy, they're all equally effective. The things and the factors that patients have to consider when they decide which option to choose has relations based on the patient's personal preference their tolerance of uh, scars that may or may not be visible, the risks of uh, donor site lymphedema, which in our hands is very rare because we take special precautions to limit the risk of causing lymphedema after harvesting these lymph nodes, and again, potential other complications that may arise that are uh, potentially a complication that could occur with any type of surgery. But after we have a thorough discussion presenting all these options to our patients, we really come to a decision mutually about which is the best option for the patient in terms of whether they want to have one donor site versus another. We'll probably go into this shortly, but in patients who are interested in breast reconstruction also, this is a unique circumstance, which again, we have our approach that sort of has become the standard approach at MD Anderson.
0: What is the MD Anderson's approach to patients with breast cancer-related lymphedema? we are also interested in breast reconstruction.
1: So uh, for these patients, historically, what we wanted to do for these patients who were also interested in breast reconstruction is we wanted to be able to address the breast reconstruction and treat their lymphedema in one operation. So in patients who have lymphedema, Oftentimes, these patients have had surgery to remove lymph nodes, they've had chemotherapy for treatment of their breast cancer, and more frequently than not, they have also have had radiation as part of their treatment for their breast cancer. In patients like this, in general, we favor using the patient's own tissue in order to reconstruct the breast rather than a prosthesis device or, uh, or an implant. So if we're going to be using the patient's own tissue in order to reconstruct her breast, what we most often do is we take tissue from the abdomen. This is what we classically have called the deep, the DEP or the deep epigastric perforator flap, where we're harvesting tissue from the lower abdomen and transferring that tissue up to rebuild the breast. When we take the tissue from the lower abdomen, We can also transfer some lymph nodes from the groin along with the tissue so that we're rebuilding the breast and transferring lymph nodes in one operation so that we're able to reconstruct the breast and improve their lymphedema with the lymph node transfer all in one operation. Again, when we first started doing this, we didn't know as much as we know now. So we have to be very careful. And we take a number of precautions to make certain that when we take these lymph nodes from the groin with the deep flap, we're not going to cause lymphedema of the leg when we do this. So again, we take a lot of precautions and we obtain preoperative imaging studies in order to make sure that we can safely harvest these lymph nodes. With the deep flap, so that we can safely reconstruct their breast and address their lymphedema without causing lymphedema of their leg. So, this has sort of been the historic approach for patients who were interested in breast reconstruction, but were also suffering from breast cancer related lymphedema. We've recently advanced sort of our approach into combining both the lymph node transfer with the lymphovenous anastomosis or lymphovenous bypass. In order to maximize the benefit and the improvement in the patient's breast cancer-related lymphedema all in one operation.
0: How successful is the brilliance technique? And how long do these outcomes last?
1: So that is sort of what we were just alluding to. The brilliant approach was a concept that we started doing probably about five, six years ago now. Again, it sort of evolved from our historical approach where we were just transferring the lymph nodes with the deep flap for patients who had breast cancer related lymphedema. Combining the lymphovenous bypass with the transfer and the deep flap reconstruction is now our sort of gold standard approach for treating breast cancer related lymphedema MD Anderson in patients who are also interested in breast reconstruction. The success rate for this operation is remarkably high. I don't mean to jinx ourselves, but pretty much every patient that we have done this combined approach for has had an improvement in their lymphedema. The success rate for the lymphovenous bypass by itself historically has a success rate of approximately 96 to 98%. The lymph node transfer operation combined with the D-flap, has a success rate historically of approximately 87 to 90, 91%. It's not that the lymphovenous bypass is more effective or has a higher success rate. It was simply the fact that at the time when we were doing these uh, operations, patients who got the lymph node transfer were suffering from more severe lymphedema. So these patients were stage 3, stage 4 patients. So it stands to reason that patients with more advanced lymphedema were probably not going to have as high of a success rate compared to patients with milder stage, earlier stage lymphedema, stage 1, stage 2. However, now for patients that have stage 3, stage 4 lymphedema, even though we cannot see the lymphatic channels based on the indocyanine green staging that we had talked about earlier we know a lot more about the lymphatic anatomy that we are able to still perform a lymphovenous bypass even in patients who we cannot see the lymphatic channels based on the indocyanine green at some institutions they have the ability to perform ultra high frequency ultrasound at other institutions, they may combine MR, lymphangiography, in order to help identify the channels. However, at MD Anderson, having a lot more experience and knowledge about the anatomy and the lymphatic system, we're able to find lymphatic vessels even in the setting that the indocyanine green does not show us these vessels. So now, even for patients with stage 3, stage 4 lymphedema, we're still able to perform a lymphovenous bypass for these patients, and we're able to perform this brilliant approach, performing the breast reconstruction with the deep flap, combining it with the inguinal lympho transfer, and performing the lymphovenous bypass all in one operation. What about
0: patients with inflammatory breast cancer who have nearly a 65 chance of developing lymphedema? How successful has this technique been in treating these patients?
1: That is a very important question because the inflammatory breast cancer patients historically were not even deemed to be candidates for breast reconstruction because prognosis when patients were diagnosed was actually quite poor. At MD Anderson now with the help of the collaborative multidisciplinary approach with the Morgan Welsh Foundation, we've really made a dramatic impact in improving the survival for inflammatory breast cancer patients. And this is a multidisciplinary group headed by Dr. Naoto Ueno who really has revolutionized the treatment for inflammatory breast cancer patients. And we've previously demonstrated that even though patients have treated very aggressively for inflammatory breast cancer, we're able to perform reconstruction for these patients using their abdominal tissue. This again was sort of not really condoned by the general medical community, again, because they were concerned about patient p- placing patients through these longer operations with free tissue transfer of the deep flap in patients who were relatively high risk for recurrence. However, now knowing that we can perform breast reconstruction safely for these patients and we've improved their overall survival, this patient population is going to have the maximal benefit from performing the lymphedema operations in combination with their breast reconstruction. By performing both the deep flap, the lymph node transfer, as well as the bypass, we're able to really make a significant improvement in their overall quality of life. We've treated actually quite a few patients with this brilliant approach. And again, like many of our other patients who do not have inflammatory breast cancer, we're able to achieve a very effective improvement in their lymphedema using the brilliant approach. Unfortunately, we don't really have a cure for lymphedema at this point in time. This is an area of active investigation that MD Anderson and actually prevention of breast cancer-related lymphedema is also an area of active investigation, but despite the severity of disease, despite the uh, aggressiveness of the inflammatory breast cancer, these patients should still be considered candidates. For the brilliant approach and again it still seems to be remarkably effective in this specific patient population.
0: Do you obtain any pre- or post-operative imaging for these patients?
1: For the patients who are undergoing this combined deep flap reconstruction with the inguinal lymph node transfer I always obtain preoperative lymphoscintigraphy with our nuclear medicine colleagues in order to help us identify the sentinel nodes in the lower extremity. When we know and we can precisely identify the location of the sentinel nodes, we have to be very cautious to preserve those nodes during the harvest for the breast cancer related lymphedema. The importance of this really cannot be uh, overemphasized because if we are taking the lymph nodes and we inadvertently injure or take the sentinel node of the lower extremity, there is a relatively high risk of causing lymphedema of the leg. For many of the patients who are also undergoing autologous reconstruction, we also obtain a CT angiogram of the abdomen in order to delineate the vascular anatomy of the abdominal tissue so that we can again very reliably transfer the tissue to the breast and reconstruct the breast in a single operation combined with the lymph nodes. The post-operative imaging, many institutions will obtain post-operative lymphocentigraphy to evaluate the drainage of the arm after we've transferred lymph nodes. We've done that for some patients in the past and we have demonstrated some uptake of the radioisotope in the transfer lymph nodes. However, this is predominantly an academic endeavor because the most important factor is not to perform imaging to confirm that the lymph nodes are taking up the radioisotope, the most important factor is how are the patients improving after the operation and whether or not they have had a benefit and an improvement in the lymphedema following the lymph node transfer. For some of our patients, we also return back to the operating room in order to perform a revision of their breast reconstruction. Occasionally, we also need to perform liposuction or debulking of the arm because Lymphedema has two components to it. In one regard, there's a fluid component, which is addressed by the bypass and the lymph node transfer. However, the fluid causes a lot of inflammation and fibrosis, which also leads to fat deposition. The fat that accumulates with lymphedema does not go away with the bypass or the lymph node transfer. So for many patients, we do do a second operation approximately one year after their initial surgery in order to revise the arm and to remove some of the fat that is accumulated. When we go back to the operating room and we remove the fat, we do perform the indocyanine green imaging again in order to map the lymphatic architecture. And for many patients, what we have found is that their staging has improved were able to downstage many of the patients after they've had the lymphovenous bypass and the lymph node transfer, which again confirms the effectiveness of the operation as the patient's lymphedema stage has improved after the operation.
0: What is the risk of donor site lymphedema? And what are the other potential complications?
1: So the combined approach for the uh, deep flap reconstruction with the lymphedema surgery it turns out that the recovery time is remarkably fast for our patients. We also examined this in our prior study and we found that the recovery time and the actual operation itself and the hospital stay is no different for patients who undergo the lymphatic portions of the operation compared to patients who just went, uh, underwent the breast reconstruction. So for the overwhelming majority of patients, the hospital stays approximately four to five days. Most patients, by the time that they are discharged, are already walking. Their pain is very well controlled, and they are able to eat without difficulty. So the recovery time is fairly, very well controlled and fairly limited for many of these patients. We ask patients, however, to minimize any strenuous activity to avoid lifting anything heavy for approximately two months after the operation. This precaution is really meant to protect the abdominal closure and the abdominal healing because when we perform the breast reconstruction using the deep flap, we do have to cut through the fascia and the muscle of the abdominal uh, tissue. When we cut through the muscle, we don't take the muscle with the tissue that we're transferring, but because we're cutting through the muscle, we obviously repair and stitch the muscle back together again after the operation, but this muscle needs time to heal. If patients are too active or they're straining or they're lifting or they're exercising too aggressively, this muscle can pull apart And if the muscle pulls apart, then patients can develop a bulge or a hernia. So for patients who undergo this operation, we ask them to take it easy and to limit their degree of exertion and their activity for approximately two months. So this again is not specific for patients who are undergoing the treatment for breast cancer-related lymphedema. This is a standard precaution for anybody who is undergoing breast reconstruction using their abdominal tissue. The only thing that potentially changes in patients who are undergoing this operation where we take the lymph node from the groin in combination with their deep flap is that they have to have drains. Again, you have to have drains regardless of whether you went underwent the lymph node transfer, but the drains may have to stay in a little bit longer in patients who have undergone the lymph node transfer. On average, I would say patients typically have their drains for about one to two weeks. If they do not have the lymph node transfer, the drains typically have to stay in another week or two longer in patients who have undergone the combined brilliant approach. But the overall recovery in terms of how well the patients improve how quickly they notice an improvement in their arm, their ability to walk and begin to sort of return to their normal baseline level activity is remarkably fast. And again, I would say by about two months after surgery, the overwhelming majority of patients are returning back to their normal activity. They're back at work. And again, they don't really have um, much deficits or issues with uh, having undergone the surgery. The risk of donor site lymphedema is higher when you look at historical studies. So when we look at the donor sites, taking the lymph nodes from the axillary region, the so-called lateral thoracic lymph nodes, that historically has had the highest risk of complications. After that, when we talk about donor site lymphedema, it is the inguinal lymph nodes that do have the next highest risk of donor site lymphedema. The earlier studies had complication rates that were probably in the single digits, maybe 6, 9, at most maybe 11% risk of having lymphedema following harvest of the inguinal lymph nodes. Since uh, we've been doing this at our institution and since we've implemented the preoperative imaging, the lymphocentigraphy, taking the precautions that we take now, is routine for every patient to go into surgery. Knock on wood, I've not had a single patient develop lymphedema of the leg after taking the lymph nodes from the groin. The other potential complications for any surgery are risks of infection, risks of bleeding, there's a risk of a seroma or a fluid collection with this operation. I don't know that's any higher when we take the lymph nodes or whether we do not take the lymph nodes, but patients who undergo this operation where we're taking tissue from the belly to rebuild the breast are at risk for developing a fluid collection, both either in the belly, in the abdomen, or in the breast where we've transferred the tissue to. Most of these complications, again, are fairly rare in the single digits, well less than 10%. But again, I think the most important complication that we have to be very concerned about is causing lymphedema of the leg when we do the lymph node transfer. And again, fortunately, after having all these precautions and these protocols in place, we have not had a single patient develop lymphedema of the leg uh, following this operation.
0: In conclusion, the MD Anderson's approach for treating patients with breast cancer-related lymphedema begins with staging using endosigning green lymphangiography. The lymphaticovenular bypass and the vascularized lymph node transfers are both effective in treating lymphedema. However, the combined free deep flap coupled with a vascularized inguinal node and a lymphaticovenular bypass enables patients who have had a mastectomy and are suffering from breast cancer-related lymphedema the dual benefit. The autologous breast reconstruction, while also improving the lymphedema in just one operation. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion. Dr. Shank, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you again for coordinating and thank you again for this wonderful opportunity.
0: At the end, we would like to point out that the information provided in this podcast are just recommendations. There are other medically appropriate options available that are not addressed in this podcast and every provider must exercise independent medical judgment to determine what's medically appropriate and best practice based on every patient's individual needs. As a listener of this podcast, you agree to release a liability and hold harmless UTMD Anderson, its officers, employees from any accident, injury, illness, death, or damage arising from or relating to directly or indirectly from this podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. I'm Abbas Hassan, and this is the Plastic Surgery for Cancer podcast.